Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Debbie Weiss. She's a former attorney who earned her MFA in creative nonfiction from St. Mary's College of California in 2020. A native of the Bay Area, she turned to writing after George, her husband and partner of more than three decades, died of cancer in April 2013, and she found herself single and living alone for the first time in her life. Weiss's essays have been published in the New York Times Modern Love column, Huff Post, Woman's Day, Good Housekeeping, El Decor, and Reader's Digest, among other publications. She lives in Benicia, California, with her second life partner, Randall. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you for having me, Roni. I appreciate it. I'm so happy that you're here, and I would love for you to share a little bit about your memoir, Available As Is, to get us started. Okay, thank you. I wrote the memoir because when I was widowed, I was looking at how to create kind of a new life. I mean, I was led a very isolated life before. I didn't have a lot of connections. And then suddenly I was at without my husband and my best friend after having been in an all-encompassing marriage. And I wondered, you know, what next? What do I do? And part of that also included entering the wild world of dating. And I hadn't <laughs> dated since 1980 when I was in high school junior. So I was pretty amazed by how things had changed. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's really an entertaining part of your memoir. I mean, the, the book is, is many, many things. But for someone who hasn't been in that online dating world, it was really interesting and nuanced and also really, I mean, I hate to say it, but entertaining. Thank <laughs> you. Know, you. Well, also because I hate to say it in the sense that you had to go through it, right? You had to get through all those, you know, frogs um, to figure out what you wanted. But it's it's really like being a spectator at, you know, sort of like a dating a dating show to watch all the things that you have to do. It, it felt like that. I, I kind of joked that it was like a bad Fellini movie. It just it just was kind of a comedy of errors. I felt very much like I was kind of entering this world of absurdism. Yes, I yes. And you definitely have that sort of ride take throughout the book. And you also show, and I really, I mean, I appreciate a lot about your book. You show how your marriage with George could have been more honest and in the ways you wished you'd advocated for your preferences and, you know, how you even chose a college close to your father because of your fear of having another parent vanish because you lost your mom when you were 10 or was it nine? Um, it was four days before my 10th birthday, so. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, and when George is sick, you remember, and I, I pulled out a couple of sentences here, quote, I needed to believe he was going to stay with me. I was unable to picture a life without him. I couldn't push the blanket aside and accept this nightmare was really happening. Still the child who couldn't believe the person she loved best in the world was going to die. And, you know, it's it's interesting to me. I have to always remind myself when I'm reading that the memoirist is searching on the page as well as understanding some things when they get to the manuscript in the beginning. And so at the beginning of your writing process, what was your understanding of your patterns and relationships, the ones you do so much careful work to help the reader grasp? And, and how much th did you discover along the way? Well, when I started the book, honestly, I was sort of writing about how was I going to live without my husband and my best friend. And that was really it. And I felt like my life had been pretty wonderful. And then when I was widowed, it was not so wonderful anymore at all. But 
I, I worked with a very good editor. And one of the things I remember I did a whole rewrite as I was working on it and I presented it to her proudly. And she said, you've missed the whole point. Oh, no. She oh, really gosh. did. She, she said, you need to be taking an honest look at your marriage. You haven't done that. And as I went through it, I realized that I'd sort of spent some of my marriage as a child and mm -hmm. sort of letting George decide what we did. And, and it was very, it was benign. There was nothing terrible there. But that I'd sort of let him make all the decisions and all. And that made it even harder to start a life on my own because I wasn't used to advocating for myself or sort of figuring out what I wanted to do by myself. Mm, yeah. So you'd gone to a therapist for grief counseling, right? Like uh, before the book? I did, yes. And so that that's so fascinating to me. And I think this is sort of the intersection of writing a memoir and also our psychology and relationships. You Had you grasped some of what your editor, this editor who told you you missed the point already personally and hadn't put it on the page? Or had you really not contended with that yet? Oh, when I went for grief counseling, I really hadn't contended with that yet. When I was going for grief counseling, I was dealing more with um, the circumstances of George's death mm -hmm. and how to sort of get off the couch and do anything at that mm -hmm. point. Yeah, and you do such a good job of that. You know, I think... There are different phases throughout the memoir of your grief and, and you know, there's, I really appreciated the, the reference to wrappers, chocolate wrappers in your bed. And, mm -hmm. you know, I love how much carrot cake and frosting you're eating. Like, I just love, you know, how you lean into those details of the, how repetitive everything is and how grim it can be and how you have to start to advocate for yourself. There's also this detective-like quality, which I think really like helps a memoir out as well which is that we're trying to figure out what you're trying to figure out which is you know what what are you going to do about this or why is it like this and I feel like you mentioned that in the book uh, about deluding yourself you know when George was sick deluding yourself in part because he was deluding you would you say that's fair I would say that is fair yeah I it, and it's funny because I didn't really look until I looked back I didn't realize how much I let him kind of dictate what the care his care was going to be like and how little I got really proactive about it that 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 really didn't strike me until I was looking back at that right and especially I mean you know from a from an outside perspective you know that was the first time you were a caregiver like that you know your mom hadn't that wasn't an opportunity you had with your mom and you were so young and so how are we going to react when we're a caregiver none of us know and then how is the partner who's failing going to take our help so it's I mean it's very like I, I felt like that piece of it was very well explored and I I wonder too what your reaction to your editor telling you you missed the point was like how arduous was that rewrite i'm so curious about the nuts and bolts of this and the craft part of it well it it was interesting because i was kind of surprised but when i thought about it i really saw her point mm -hmm. and it kind of did go in with a the theme of the novel of the of the memoir of going from living in my dad's house to living with george to never having really lived on my own or explored dating other men or having other opportunities or traveling. You know, I went straight from college to law school to practicing law at a mid-sized firm uh, near where I lived. And it, it started to kind of click. It was like, oh, this is kind of what I did and I never really questioned it, you know? Mm -hmm. And did how long did it take you to, from the, that big note from your editor 
that you trusted to the manuscript that we are now reading? That's a good question. I would say probably another four months. Oh, wow. So that was some quick work, I think, relatively. Well, maybe five, but Mm -hmm. I think I got back within a month or so, and then we did another set of rewrites that were less dramatic after that. Mm-hmm. And was there something uh, along with the story and the the basic outline of what happened to you and, and what you made of what happened, was there anything especially important to you to include in the manuscript? Like, was there something that you hoped the readers would experience in reading your memoir? There were a couple things I really wanted to include. I mean, one of which is I don't particularly love the character that I was at the beginning of the book in some ways, not so much by the time I wrote the first chapter, but some of the flashback pieces and the the early widowhood pieces. But I really wanted to show the loneliness and I wanted to show the desperation because I've read some books on widowhood and grief and they don't get into that sense of the loneliness and the anxiety Mm -hmm. that comes with it when you're alone in the middle of the night. And your person is gone and this may be the rest of your life and you're going to wake up alone and then what are you going to do? I didn't feel that a lot of books somehow captured what that really felt like at your soul, you know, how, mm-hmm. how, how disturbing that was. And then I also wanted to capture, I, I felt some of the real, I don't know, sexism, I guess I want to say, mm-hmm. a negativity that, that was in midlife dating. I, I wanted mm-hmm. to really really wanted to explore that, kind of yes. warn, other, warn other people. <laughs> yes, yes. And you definitely unpack that quite a bit in, in, a, in a way that, you know, it's funny because I have my own, those stereotypes are cultural stereotypes about this position you found yourself in. And then you kind of see it play out. And then you debunk it in a way, you know, you, you debunk it in some ways right away. So here's another structural question I have for you, which, you know, I really I really liked noticing this and I, I do love to talk about structure so much because I think at least when I was writing my memoir, structure really just drove me up a wall. I just, until I get my structure, I kind of get hung up on the details. And once I get my structure, I feel like I can relax. And so I'm always very curious about structure. And so you, you know, in a nutshell, you introduce the grave losses you suffered in your life. And then you tell of the different men you met when you begin to date. And then you shift back to your old life with George in many cases and how your relationship changed over time and his illness and what caregiving was like. And I want, I'm so curious how you discovered this structure for your memoir and, and how you handled sharing all the information you wanted to include. Well, thank you. It was pretty dense. I mean, I had a lot of information and it was very hard. The hardest part for me was because I wanted to start the book with my first chapter of filling out the dating profile. Mm-hmm. That's where I wanted it to start. And I wanted it to, and from there, the next chapter had to be what happens after you fill out your dating profile, you start dating, right? It's confusing <laughs> if you don't go from there into, <laughs> you know, where did, what is your first chapter promising? But I did want to go into the backstory, and that in some ways had to be chronological too. So I felt like I was handling two separate threads, two separate chronologies. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, at one point I just cut all my pieces up and I had them on my living room floor with tape and a stapler. Mm -hmm. And I was just putting it together. And then I was trying to figure out which things from the past fit into sort of where I was in the timeline of the book with the dating, with the problems, what was significant that I wanted to bring out from the past and mm-hmm. how could I loop it in so it, it didn't feel random. It was hard. 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. My mind, you know, it can capture that stuff and, and grasp it. But it's I, I've heard about the exercise where you cut pieces and you shift them all around. And I remember when I took a fiction class at the University of Washington years and years ago, <laughs> our teacher wanted us to do that. And I, I just looked at it like, how can I possibly destroy this document and cut everything up? And how will I find my way again? And this was like 10 years ago, you know, but I realized like it takes it takes a certain muscle to do that. And it's it's really, really helpful. But I I thought about that while I was reading your memoir with how you're going to juggle and handle all the information. There's so many ways to go about it. And you do have a lot of, you know, a lot of things you want to cover. And I don't mean that in like, you don't information dump, which is really why I'm asking about the structure, because you had a lot to cover and you did it in this way that really is elegant. Oh, thank you. Um, one of the things I tried to do, thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate it because even when I was finished with my MFA, my MFA advisor said, it's too dense. She wanted me to rewrite the whole book. And at oh, that gosh. point, I worked <laughs> with an editor and everything. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. You know, I mean, I, I think this is, I have more, I have some confidence in this. Yeah. Um, one thing I tried to do, I don't know, was to start each vignette in the middle, in medias ras, I guess you'd say. So everything would start kind of in the middle of a significant moment. So I would try to start things with, well, this weird conversation, or this is how this date made me feel how I felt when George was on his deathbed, or this is what I didn't tell him, and this was a memory. But I tried to put everything in a scene, which was really hard for me as a former lawyer, and it's one of the reasons I went back and got the MFA, Mm -hmm. was to try to put things in kind of complete little scenes and to have those scenes start at an interesting moment and hopefully have some relation to why I was flashing back to that at that time. Yeah, so I'm hearing that in a way, and tell me if if I'm overstating this, but you wanted to make sure the scene is earning a place in the book. Very much so. Yes, I wanted to make sure it was earning a place very much. You know, a lot of the book, I mean, part of the themes I'm dealing with is loneliness and isolation, but that doesn't necessarily make for an interesting scene. I remember my MFA teacher saying, you know, put people in rooms together and have them talk. Don't have them sitting there looking outside of windows. So that was one thing I was trying to do. Yeah, and also the scene thing. I think for me, I I shy away from the scenes. The scene work is going to take longer. In in my case, it takes longer, and you know, I know I have to use a lot more tools, a lot more senses, and so it it maybe exacts more of a toll for me, which is why I shy away from them. But I know in general, people really like scenes. They do. I think we've all heard people are programmed to go with story, and a scene will usually have a little bit of a progression of some kind. And that's mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I also feel like more modern writing is more scene oriented. Um, I, I don't, I don't see a lot of modern writers like pages and pages of description. I, I don't see that being done a oh, lot. Yeah. And when I've read older books that have that, I know I get, you know, my monkey mind gets a little <laughs> restless. Yes, same, same. So I was hoping that you could read this passage, the short passage we talked about, and you can go ahead and begin how you'd like to begin. To introduce it, I guess what I would say is that, you know, I already said my mom died shortly before my 10th birthday, and it led to me being a very cautious person. And from there, I went to colleges and, and picked a career close to home and married my high school sweetheart. So this is a passage when the grief therapist is saying, you need to take the time to grieve George. And what I thought was this. 
Losing my mother at 10 should have at least given me the advanced placement grieving credit so I could skip Introduction to Widowhood 101. It seemed like a verb, to widow, to wail at your husband's graveside, to tat lace, and to wear shroud-like black clothing, as if you two were already dead. Widowhood defined you by someone who was no longer there, like being a negative number. Yeah, thank you so much for reading that. And and I, you know, your book is, it's wry. I feel like, I don't know if you if you feel that's true, like it's wry in, in, in ways and in yeah, it's wry, it's clear-eyed, it's really clear-eyed and, and honest about who Debbie Weiss, the new widow, was. And I'm wondering, and, and yes, it's funny too, <laughs> What so what effort does it take for you to write with humor? Um, it's kind of how I naturally think. Um, I naturally have kind of a wry, um, maybe, I don't want to say jaded, cynical take <laughs> on things. I am just naturally am kind of that way, and that's kind of how I view things. I maybe always see some inherent humor. Maybe that comes from being culturally Jewish. I was, ju- I was waiting for you to say it because I'm <laughs> Jewish too. And I was originally thinking you were going to say, well, I think it might be because I'm Jewish. And then I thought, you know, you, you're a little jaded, which is funny because you're on the West Coast and I'm from the East Coast originally. And a lot of people in New York and stuff are, are more jaded than the West. My family's from Brooklyn. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, there it is right there. My mom is from Sheepshead Bay. So and my, my dad is from the Bronx, but go on, please. So yeah, maybe a little bit of that Jewish wryness too. Yeah. Believe it or not, my dad um, in the book, he's, my dad's a retired nuclear physicist. He is hilarious. He has a very dry, very funny sense of humor that can seem a little harsh if you don't know him. And I think I inherited it and I temper it a bit. But I think I think some of my humor might might be genetic. Yeah, yeah. The the outlook, the perspective, the voice, right? So it's not like you had to sit there and and craft a wry voice. It kind of was there. Oh yeah. When you know when my dad talks about my mother dying, he says, "Yes, it, you know it was so sad. Your mother's warranty wore out." <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. Okay. I love that your dad is in the book like that, and and his partner too. I mean, it's really nice to have them there, especially in the earlier part of your your widowhood when you didn't have a lot of people around you. He's very much present in your book. Oh, very much. Yeah, I was raised. I'm an only child. He was an only child. You know, after my mom died, he stepped in, and he was my mom and my dad. So mm-hmm. yeah, and he and we were always close. We always, you know, we never really spent a lot of time apart. You know, after I moved out, we'd see each other once a week or every other week or so for dinner and we'd meet up. So, you know, you, you alluded before to, and I I wanted to go a little bit uh, further into this, how it was a little bit harder for you to write about the, you didn't like you actually, I think you said you didn't like as much the early widow that you were. And, and I was wondering how it, it was for you to be the narrator, Debbie Weiss, writing about the character Debbie Weiss, from that time in your early widowhood, how, what was that experience like for you? Oh gosh, it was like looking at a younger child you're not that crazy about maybe. I mean, (laughs) you know, it was, it was interesting because I was, I had PTSD back then and a lot of anxiety, I had anxiety attacks and I was just trying to figure out how to live in the house that I'd lived in for, I don't know, over 20 years at that point, didn't feel like home anymore. Uh, George, you know, he was 
a big engineer. So, you know, he had this gaping stereo system he'd been working out in the front of the living room with these wires and horrible metal framework. And it's, it felt like it was mocking me. And it was hard to look back and see just how alienated I felt. Yeah, because you write a lot. I mean, readers will get this once they, they start your book, but you you were really sheltered. You Your life with George was really tight-knit and insular, and you really had to go outside of your comfort level to expand your world. I did, and it was just little things. But that was another thing I kind of wanted to do with the book because I'm a very cautious person, and part of that is the way I was raised. Again, culturally Jewish, only <laughs> super protective, only parent, you know, after mm-hmm. mom died young and everything. And I wanted to look at how do you create a new life when you're a very cautious, risk-averse kind of person. You know, Elizabeth Gilbert may have run on, a, on an airplane and, and gone, you know, all over the world for, for a year or something. But I was the kind of person who's like, well, what if a giant sinkhole swallows my house? <laughs> how are the plants okay? I have automatic sprinklers, but what if there's a leak? What if, um, you know, just these, these sort of crazy things, but I think there's a lot of people like that. I don't think I'm alone in being very cautious and risk averse. Yeah, no, no, no. Actually, it's funny. My husband is not Jewish, but he'll he'll often hear me when I when the phone rings and it's my sister, for example, or my mom at a time I don't expect. I just pick it up and I say, what's wrong? Yes, yes. <laughs> and he makes it so funny. He'll just like kind of impersonate me. He's, he'll pick up the phone and go, what's wrong? So in terms of the separation between your narrator voice and your character voice, was that a process or did that kind of pop out of you that, okay, I'm the wiser older Debbie Weiss writing about this time? Or did you really have to like tease it out? Because I know for me, it took me a while when I was writing my memoir. That was kind of hard. To, at first it was hard and then it got easier. Once I kind of got it, I could do it. The MFA was helpful. The very first thing in class we got was this article and it was something like, and I'm going to get this wrong, apologies MFA professors, mm-hmm. but it was something like the author narrator character convergence. Mm-hmm. Talking about how you have to differentiate the author, you're, you're, you know, you're omniscient, right? You're the author. Then you're the narrator, but you're the character, but the narrator knows more than the character. It was kind of interesting. I, I think I managed to do it, but it almost just was something instinctual. I feel like it's something where you have to write a lot and mm-hmm. then you can go back and things will start to fall into place where you can look back as the narrator. So even if it's a flashback, you can say, well, how does my narrator look at who the character was back then? Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. And that was something about memoir that I, I when I realized it, I, it was really a game changer for me. It, it took me a while to understand that. So can we talk about the evolution of your writing from your blog and articles to becoming a memoirist? Because you do mention in the book a little bit that you had a blog. And so I'd love to learn about that because I'm sure there's a lot of writers listening who have blogged or who wonder about turning some of that material into their manuscript. I started blogging probably around 2014, uh, some months after George died. I started dating about 14 months after. And I was so shocked by the guys and I had insomnia and I joked that I started my blog to to warn other single midlife (laughs) women about the poor quality of middle-aged men these days (laughs) and also just grief because it was so lonely and so raw and again I didn't see a lot of writing sometimes I felt like a lot of writing about grief is sort of self-improvement and that's not really necessarily the time we have the bandwidth for self-improvement 
And I mean, I, I've met my fellow widows through promoting the book and podcasting and they're wonderful people. But I've also read some widow books and widow blogs where it seems like it's like, oh, it's a chance to learn a new skill set. Like, no, I was having trouble not drinking too much and functioning on three hours of sleep, you know. Mm-hmm. And so did you ever, when did you realize, oh, you know, this is article material. This is more, this blog is bigger than what I thought it was. Um, I think maybe because I'm a former lawyer, I kind of like a challenge. So I, I actually sent a couple things to good old XO Jane, which isn't around anymore, but it was like a confessional magazine for women, but it was very popular. And women would just write in about their experiences and it was online. And that was kind of fun. And from there, and people were writing pretty basically. It wasn't real fancy writing. It, it's gone now. And then from there, there was the HuffPost platform and I started to write there because I wanted to talk about midlife dating and then from there, I got into a group of writers who contributed to the Hearst magazines. You had to apply. You got into a group. And from there, you could get your stuff published. You had like a 48-hour turnaround, like for 800-word articles. I think we were paid the munificent fee of $50. <laughs> and I still remember one of the guys who the, – the editor there was wonderful. But one of the guys who controlled the program sort of treated us like we were all plebes. You know, we were getting, you know, please do not try to track any of us down on social media. I was like, okay. <laughs> but it was good for me as a new writer because I got eight articles published in magazine in the Hearst magazines like Women's mm-hmm. Day or Good Housekeeping. And that gave me enough confidence to just kind of play around and write. Yeah. Yeah. And then you went and did your MFA. But then you knew. Did you know that you were going to write a memoir? Um, I, that's a really good question. I started to take writing classes again in 2014. And I just was, and I had a writing group of friends. So I just started to put pieces together, like little bits of things. And then I decided to write the memoir probably around, I don't know, 2017. I started to just have a lot of material and all the folks in my writing group were writing books. So I think I, I think I wanted to to be like them. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness for writing groups. I I just want to say that writing groups can save you. So what are some of your favorite memoirs or memoirs that you found particularly helpful in writing yours? That's kind of odd. The, the things that I consider memoir that I found helpful aren't exactly memoirs, but I love everything by MFK Fisher. Consider the oyster, the alphabetical uh, me, I think, because, and I don't do this, but the way she interwove her life with food and recipes, which again, I don't do that, but <laughs> I just love the way she would write these vignettes of aspects of her life. She had all these little stories and some would be in the present and some would be in the past. And I just love her writing. I also love, I don't know, maybe I'm more food oriented. I love Lori (laughs) Colwyn, Home Cooking and More Home Cooking. And again, those are more cookbooks, but she weaves her life in in a way that I just felt like you're talking to a friend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just loved how um, conversational it felt and, you know, subtle humor. But it was just kind of like, you know, I'm giving you a chicken recipe because people feel uncomfortable cooking. And this was my story of learning. And it was just, I really felt like just so comfortable reading that. And then the other memoir I just loved was Educated by Tara Westover. I thought that was, I mean, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, that's actually, I have to double check my show notes, but I think that's the, the most often mentioned memoir when I ask guests this question. I think that's the, the most consistently mentioned one, Educated. So what advice in our, in our final minute or two would you give writers with memoirs in progress who are feeling challenged by their manuscripts? You know, what, what would you like them to know? 
I have taught writing and I like Shimmering Images by Lisa Dale Norton, which talks about you just, you write down your memories, you write the vignettes, you put them together and you'll start to see themes. I think the hardest part with the memoir is putting all the, maybe any writing, mm-hmm. is putting all the pieces together in a way that's coherent and gives you something beyond each little piece. I mean, if, you know, I had to get my book to be beyond, these guys were jerks. You know, there has to be something deeper and I feel like that comes from just writing the pieces and then seeing what themes are coming out and then looking at what pieces support what themes and if that's what you want to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And would you say how, how much did time away from your manuscript or letting it kind of rest in between edits help you? Did you do that at all? I do. I did that. Yeah, I would definitely do that when I was, it helped me because when I was getting the MFA, we would have like almost two months off for the holidays. So I'd worked on it then over the summer. But when I was in school, maybe I wouldn't so much aside from workshopping. I think you need time away for the brain to synthesize. It's like with anything. I mean, I'm doing this super, this is weird, but I'm doing this super hard yoga class right now. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do it every day. If I give it a couple days, when I come back, I feel like my body kind of knows a little more what to do with it. And maybe some of writing's a little bit instinctual like that too. You have to let your brain, your unconscious brain kind of catch up to what your conscious brain is trying to do. Mm, yeah, for sure. I love it. So you're really a yogi. Like I take a, I take classes here and there, but you, you're yogi yogi. Well, I live in a small town and we just got a yoga studio. Yay. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And I'm going three or four times a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. I You inspired me with all of your outdoor activity and the hikes and stuff. And I just was like, yeah, I got to move my body more. So Debbie, where can people find you? Where is the best place for them to find your book, more of your writing? Oh, thank you for asking. The best place to find my book is probably Amazon. I've discounted the Kindle to 99 cents because as a new writer, it's so hard to get any attention. So Amazon has it. It has descriptions. It's also Barnes and Noble and Apple. The other way to get it, which is wonderful, I think, is to just ask at your small bookstore. The Benicia Bookstore here in Benicia has been so wonderful to me. Mm-hmm. And so is a couple other local bookstores where I live. So I always want to talk about that. And then you can find me on my website, which is called The Hungover Widow. That's my blame of my blog. <laughs> and it's morphed into a, a little bit of a author site, thehungoverwidow.com. And I'm on Facebook as Debbie Weiss or Debbie Weiss Author. I'm on Instagram as Debbie Weiss Author. Um, okay. I locked myself out of my old account, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty easy to find, I think. Okay, great. Well, I'll definitely link to all of those in the show notes too. Thank you so much for being my guest and spending time talking about your new memoir. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me, Ronit. This was wonderful and I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.